It's happy times and places. A friend of mine has chosen a Doctor Who story for us to watch. I have to commentate along, emphasising its good qualities, and try to guess what my friend's favourite things about it are. Hello Toby and hello everyone. My name is Richard Bignall, the editor of Nothing at the End of the Lane, and this time we've come to the thrilling climax as we watch together part four of the Pyramids of Mars. Well, welcome everybody. It's episode four of Pyramids of Mars. Uh, I think myself and Richard Bignall, my guest, uh, and Richard, if you don't know him, is a the doyen of Doctor Who researchers. He's written a brilliant um, book on Doctor Who on location, which uh, uh, features what's going on with Pyramids of Mars. Uh, and he's chosen some very good things. I think he's already won the competition where uh, I have to see if I can guess the best things uh, about it. Well, I think it's the room. I have to see if I can guess what their favourite thing is. Well, I haven't been doing that for the whole of the podcast. It's only just occurred to me. We're a year in. Uh, I just choose my favourite thing and hope they've chosen it as well. I occasionally indulge in a bit of gamesmanship, but uh, I have to be honest as well because I'd hate it if I chose something uh, that I was doing artfully in order to try and catch them out, and then they chose the thing that I really liked. Um, so, yeah, I'd I'd rather be wrong than be right in my heart and then choose the wrong thing and then then choose the right thing because that would that that would be a really bitter failure um at least if i'm going to fail um i'm going to fail fail with the right taste in my mouth right um it's part four of pyramids of mars this will be interesting i hope um and we're going to press play or i'm going to go select because i'm on episode selection on the dvd in three, two, one. Now the reason, and it's going to start, yeah, the reason I say it's interesting, because often I say interesting when I can't think of anything else to say, and it's a way of buying myself a little bit of time, and it's a, like a tick, like my ums, and I hate myself for both, and this is why I can never listen to myself, which makes editing these slightly awkward. Um isn't it odd because they say they say about people who talk a lot oh they like the sound of their own voice well i talk an awful lot and i hate the sound of my own voice so um uh because actually you don't listen to yourself when you're when you're saying things out loud so actually the talk drowns out everything else uh it's a beautiful model um so listen pyramids of mars episode four i have seen less often than the rest of it because uh, uh, you'll recall from episode one, I, I think on the repeat when this repeated when I was at university, I only had the time or inclination or tape, or I might have even forgotten. I remember being annoyed with myself afterwards um, to tape the first three. Whereas only moments before, a, year, a couple of years before, I would have called off everything and I would have been pin sharp and precise in my, you know, tape taping uh, broadcast quality doctor who off air you know was was i mean stop all the traffic but i suppose because i'd got the broadcast quality you know it's one of the best qualities i had no bootleg because it was the vhs and i think i probably hadn't realized how edited particularly parts one and four um the the omnibus pyramids of mars was um because they didn't do that say with robots of death they didn't cut anything out of it um, but yeah, this 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 had bits lopped out. But I'll tell you what. So when I did properly sit down and watch this in episode form, maybe for the only time, apart from uh, when I then did it for running through corridors, the the um, book that's taken longer to write than any other book in the history of time that I'm still writing with Rob Shearman, while well, still editing with Rob Shearman. Um, where he and I watched Doctor Who in uh, chronological order. So I probably, yeah, I probably watched this properly twice, maybe three times in this form. And that's not a lot for me for a Doctor Who story. Um, as I'm saying it out loud, I still quite a few times, but I consider this one of the least familiar in its proper form. Whereas I've, I've you know, I've seen this uh, in its VHS form, you know, dozens of times. Um, but I remember when I got this on this very DVD I'm watching, thinking 
that pyramids really went up the Swanee uh, and really lost its luster uh, in this final episode. You know, everyone's dead apart, apart from Marcus Garman. Well, he's dead. Um, so, so it's it's just the Doctor and Sarah. Uh, and but, but this stuff's great, isn't it? Uh, Tom Tom Baker is so good at this agony. Look at that! It's, he is not. He is not. There's not a half-hearted atom in his performance. But it's not over the top. It's not. And he, if he watched this now, he would probably laugh at this and go, "Oh, look! I'm really. Uh, isn't that? Oh, I'm giving it no." Uh, and he's a much better actor than he gives himself credit for. And we mustn't let the fact that he now treats it all as a bit of a lark and, "Oh, wasn't I lucky to be Doctor?" He, this is a committed acting performance, and he's really good at the melodrama. Uh, and and don't don't mistake the word melodrama for um, a, a pejorative term. Melodrama Shakespeare is melodramatic. You know, it's the stuff. Of, it's the stuff of the drama that makes you sit up uh, and pay attention and and can talk about things that that take you out of the the, the room that you're in and the uh, you know the the, the semi detached. Uh, uh, are we semi detached? No, we're we're terrace. The terraced house in the at, the at the end of a row in 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 Manchester on a gloomy winter evening in the twentieth twenty first century. You know, melodrama takes you to time and space and to curses and to witches and to magic and to and to and to, and to worlds of gods and monsters and grand guignol and you know where so where emotions are heightened, where pain is heightened, where stakes are heightened. This is the stuff, uh, and it takes actors of a certain elan and a certain i think classical tradition uh and and a, and certainly gravitas um to pull it off or to be exemplars in the way that tom baker is and tom baker is an exemplar of this sort of the stuff uh and 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 yet he he sort of tries to reason as well and he does seem quite sort of he's there's almost a deference there as well when he's saying but you come on mate you're 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 evil but he's not he's not glib you know he is addressing this creature as if it's a as if it's a god uh but you you are a twisted abhorrence oh it's such glorious i wish i could f feast on this dialogue without talking through it but i know that that is not what the podcast is for and pin sharp precision of the evil uh haunting tones of uh gabriel wolf it's unfortunately you could tell that the that is uh is tardis key medallion is obviously is on strings uh you know it's quite fun that they you know sutic has the mental power to sort of drag them over but uh only on invisible strings uh, <laughs> but uh, that's okay no that's okay that's fine uh, that I, I mean, I think that any any sort of uh, I've I've picked out quite a few things that I don't think quite work in this, but it's only it's only oddly uh, where there are other stories where I I wouldn't mention a lot of stuff that that clearly doesn't work because because this story is so good on so many levels. It's almost like you have to go. Well, I, I do have to point out that you know there are there are a couple of bits that niggle me, but the 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 major niggles in this. No, yeah. The, The the, the the niggles in this, uh, uh, you know, are, are the major niggles in this are, mu are very minor, uh, but it's because every, they are surrounded by greatness, uh, and you probably wouldn't even notice them as niggles in in certain other stories because everything else is going wrong elsewhere, <laughs> um, and that's not to go. You know, there are Doc Two stories that 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 don't have the wonderful qualities that these have that I still find very entertaining for different reasons. But I think this is genuinely good. This is genuinely strong. Look at Elizabeth Sladen looking scared. Uh, and it's just, just these are, because this I've done pretty well with this story. You know, I've met Tom, I never met Elizabeth Sladen. Uh, I did write to her and I have a signed photograph of her. Uh, I wrote to her to do an interview for my fanzine. I never wrote a fanzine, uh, but I, I'd intended to. So I wrote to Elizabeth Sladen and Nick Courtney, and I got a signed picture from Elizabeth Sladen, and I got a, a little note from Nicholas Courtney. That was nice, wasn't it? Um, but I had a letter from Bernard Archard. I met Michael Sheard. I had a letter from Peter Copley, who played Dr. Warlock. I met... Uh, I've said Peter Copley, haven't I? 
Uh, I've met Gabriel Wolf. I met Nick Burnell, uh, the mummy. Uh, Peter Mayock, no, I don't think he even did an event or anything, or or, or or and wasn't working when I was when I was around. Vic Tablian, who's Ahmed, is still around, so there's still still got a chance with Vic Tablian. Um, and Michael Collins never had the chance, but I've done, I've done, and I've met Christine Rusco, met Philip Hinchcliffe, I met Paddy Russell, been to Paddy Russell's house, I have Paddy Russell's cat litter tray in the room upstairs. That's what I've, I, I store uh, various uh, uh, files and folders of hers that uh, that I have, because uh, they were very kindly uh, bestowed upon me, um, and I've got some of her photos. Uh, she's got loads of lovely slides and photos from all sorts of productions except for any of her doctor who's we found some slides and they they look like the they look like actually the same woods as here uh it's like oh is this are these lovely summary pictures of doctor who on location no completely different production um i did find some that i gave to steve roberts for for the, something they were doing at the bbc that i know that that they'd found useful for something i can't remember the word though but they were a rudolph cartier production from uh, late 50s early 60s um so she could you know she was taking photos then or in the vicinity to be taking photos home uh she could have you know she could have had some from the massacre she could have had some from Quatermass. she didn't oh she did she had one from Quatermass in the pit that i've not seen anywhere else uh, that's now on the the Quatermass in the pit blu-ray i do you know what? i seriously considered holding it back because i've got a book coming out and i thought well, it would be nice to have an exclusive i thought but no i've got it and this is the definitive dvd it can't it won't be definitive it doesn't have a picture that i know that exists so counterintuitive and seeing as i know that, that that there are some photos from doctor who that could easily be on some dvds and blu-rays that we know that people have got who who um i don't know what they're waiting for but uh, d d are not willing to share um and i get very cross with that sort of attitude uh, you know i i I, I cannot then be an embodiment of that attitude, even though it, it, I, I, I did feel, as soon as I scanned it and passed it on, I went, oh, what did I do that for? Um, but I think, hopefully, in the uh, when I look back on my life, I'll go, no, that was the correct thing to do. Um, I always think of the line in uh, City of Death, wasn't it? It's, a, it's something about, you know, it's... A, uh, when, when they talk about you know having the it's an expensive boast or whatever having the having the having one of the Mona Lisas and yet no having a Mona Lisa in a private collection but nobody know that you can have it because then it wouldn't you know because it's been stolen um it, it, you know it's it's yeah it's 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 the ultimate avarice really um but I suppose but I but with these photos actually I think the person knows that yeah knows that that, that, or the person it's not just one person there are various people who've got various photos that we know that they've got but who who like the idea of keeping them to themselves which i yeah that's not my bag but people can do what they like uh, i just think it's uh it's a shame and again what what you know with these blu-rays coming out are going to be as definitive as it gets i think so you know what what are you waiting for um, anyway, I'm digressing. I sometimes give a lecture. I'm sorry about that. But lectures should be written and thought out and have uh, persuasive arguments on either side. Um, whereas I'm talking on the top of my head whilst half watching a Doctor Who episode. But that's what this podcast is, for better or worse. Uh, and if you're still listening, I'm grateful. It's partially because I, 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 I think I've... I'd geared my mouth to go into overdrive during this episode because I know that it's a lot of actors looking at walls. Uh, uh, and, you know, I, I don't think episode four of Death to the Daleks is the best episode of Death to the Daleks, um, which I do like as a story, and I like more and more as, I, as, I, as I've seen it in, later in life. Um, but to do it again, to have one story that ends with people walking through a building made of puzzles... Uh, can be seen as unfortunate twice seems like seems like a policy um and and of course the and, and the and there's no real satisfaction in the the solving of the tr tricks either um although again uh, it's it, it's worth it for uh the smile uh that the smiles that tom baker and elizabeth sladen give each other i could watch these two all day uh yeah 
yeah and and you know and it's and it's 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 a great it's you know it 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 it, it, it greatly illustrates the doctor's uh, intelligence and de- powers of deduction and in fact i've i've recently been doing a, a too much information podcast on episode 3 of the daleks and sydney newman sends a a memo to verity lambert saying what i liked about this episode this is the guy who you know we're told had uh, you know, rejected the Dalek story uh, on principle because it was about bug-eyed monsters. So he sends Verity Lambert this, you know, this memo saying, I, I, I like the way they got out of the prison because, uh, because the, you know, they used their deductive powers. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, it's all about, you know, how, how they solve a problem. Um, is, is that, is that one? Is, is, is that, is that stuff in the, BBC video I don't think it is I think yeah this 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 bit is where he measures the shape with his scarf and all of that coming up we've got Marcus Scarman with the two different shaped things out I mean I I mean I think I think my granddad could solve this and he's been dead since 1988 um but to be fair so Marcus Scarman's been dead for quite a long time but you know what I mean it's it's it is a childish stratagem um it's it's one of the shapes is different Uh, I mean you You'd have this in the in the Weekend Guardian magazine on on a Sunday, and uh, when it comes out on a Saturday, but you'd leave it to the Sunday to do the puzzle page, uh, and you know that, that that you'd go, oh, that was almost fairly straightforward. Um, and I, I I seem to recall Philip Pinchcliffe on the DVD commentary sort of going, yeah, I think we're I think we're pushing it a bit here, but and I'm not sure Paddy wanted them to do that, Paddy Russell, um, and I could call a Paddy, can't I? I've got a litter tray. I went to a funeral. Um. Uh. Uh. But it, I, I think it needs it. I think it needs them to do that. Marx Brothers. Uh, oh, we're walking in, and we're not even looking at each other. In in uh, in, in in sync, we shall turn round and not break us, not break our stride, and go back out the way we came. I think that's delightful. I think that's good. I I I. I, I I like her peevishness that she does very well, but again, it's not annoying. It, there's a there's a warmth to it, and there's a, and I tell you what, there's a truth to it. It's 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 real people um, batting back and forth. That I mean, that's nonsense. The bit with the scarf and all of that. It's it, it's 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 that's not what the puzzle is. I mean, God bless you for trying to make it work. Um, Andy measured it across. Yeah. I mean, what he did there bears no resemblance to what the the puzzle is, but it sort of doesn't matter because of that beaming smile and the uh, you know, and actually, but seeing as the you know we're we're stuck in this you know tiny location, um, I I like the sort of lava wall business that's going on i don't quite know what it is but it uh, but it's an it's an attempt to stop it just being you know drab flats there's angles but it but but but, but particularly that that uh, you know that, that that molten bit that is you know clearly a bit of you know front axle projection or whatever it is um you know replacing some cso panels but uh, it, that's a clever piece of design and the beauty actually the beautiful colors in sutex cell and that sort of oil uh oil slick like kaleidoscope uh it's very handsome seeing as it is you know uh, i'm sure that bit wasn't i'm sure this bit wasn't in the uh in the vhs as well so much that they lopped out and i'm afraid to say pyramids of march much as i like you not hugely to its detriment this now this i don't this i don't mind because um i love that uh and and i love when he puts relax and he writes it the right way around and the way that she goes the way that she does the kind of yeah yeah whatever but he's really obviously genuinely uh terrified uh he doesn't know what to do uh but she's she, she she's trying to invest it with a bit of humor as well it's 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 is really well judged and played uh seeing as as all it is is uh, stuck in a plastic tube tom tom baker's making it the you know the emotional and dramatic climax of of the episode um but what it is is it's and i like the the, the sort of gold horus mummies um making good use of resources to have a different slightly different look at this stage in the episode but um i actually as a kid i love 
the puzzle game you know and i was often reading you know books about you know what's the what's the the the, the greek one about you know what has two legs uh, four legs in the morning two legs at lunchtime and three legs in the afternoon oh, oh man because blah, blah. And, and and you always thought you were clever if you'd worked those out and they were something you could take to school with you armed with something that you could you know get a you know get a conversation going with and, and talk to your friends about and, and and see if you could outwit people so i i, I think although it's you know dreadful padding uh it within the context of doctor who uh i think it's it's perfectly legitimate to do to do this and it's a it's an age-old thing isn't it it's the it's called the something dilemma isn't it where um you know if i told you if I, if he says yeah the, it, well what it what it is what we've just seen that's a it's an actual thing uh uh bunged into doctor who at a, at a climactic moment when the stories run out uh and i think it's okay i think i think i think that works okay uh and this is all right. I like the fighting mummies. Uh, uh, and he's going to release Sutek. Oh, and of course, um, yeah, and that that marks that marks okay. There we go. Uh, and actually, of course, I say Marcus is dead, but we actually have this moment here where there's just his oh, he's he's dead, but there's still a lingering bit of consciousness. Uh, I yeah I now I wonder if in the script it was supposed to be just you know Sutek going I, I, I'm free uh, as Bernard Archer as Marcus Scarman and then you know the body collapsing but I like the suggestion there that actually he momentarily Marcus Scarman returns to us uh, and goes oh I'm I'm free and then <laughs> I'm free and does does it Mr Humphreys and then dies and I I like the the dead body effects that sort of thing I thought was terribly grown up when I was a kid and would. Would, would, would hope that my friends were looking at that moment because, you know, it's a bit like special effects in a Hollywood movie. I mean, yeah, it was for Doctor Who's turns. Oh, this is a brilliant speech. Um, and he does it so well. Uh, actually, I mean, it's not even that brilliant speech, but it's a great moment, the close-up, the, 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 you know, the, the fact that Gabriel Wolfe it can mesmerize just through the sheer force of his voice well not force of his voice because it's actually quite a high register but it's 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 glass it's it's like it's like a terrifying wine glass a vocal a terrifying vocal wine glass oh and of course that oh we get the hand of sutek which I, would i have noticed if i i read about it in the radio uh, in the i think the matrix data bank in doctor who magazine uh, i should really interview the hand shouldn't i <laughs> Um, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, when Sutek stands up, there's a hand holding his cushion down. But if you don't know that, um, oh, you've got some things about Doctor Who to find out because I think that's one of the, I think it's one of the first mistakes uh, anybody ever finds out about Doctor Who, isn't there? Is the is the hand of Sutek? Um, and there's some plausible science to this, I think, isn't there? About about the fact that yes, because I was talking about this to somebody the other day about the fact that the stars in the sky that are, are shining down on us some of uh, some of them there's a brilliant uh, welsh comic called noel james who is uh, always a uh, you know one of the circuit's most underrated talents but i think he did do britain's got talent relatively recently so i think more people know him now but he's an absolute surreal genius and he does a wonderful uh, line at the end of his set uh, where you go uh, well i've been a star tonight by the time I reached most of your consciousnesses, I'd already died. Uh, well, and, and that's a, which is a great joke. Uh, my name is, in fact, Noel Wynn James, but I don't pronounce the in fact. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, oh, I love him. Live comedy is great. And there's some people who've never been on telly who are absolutely marvellous. So do go and see your local live comedy gig. But this, um, yeah, this this whole thing about there being a delay, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, I'm sure a proper scientist will go, well, this, yeah, but it doesn't work because of this, this and this. If you are if you have a basic science thing going on, you go, oh, no, that, that makes sense to me, the, the length of time. There's, there is a gap between it, it reaching Earth. Uh, but then, of course, they have to travel in the TARDIS, so when's then and when's now? But it's, no, it's fine. I've, I've bought the fact that they're not traveling that's why bringing time travel in an adventure i always think is 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 a is a tricky ask for me 
which I'm, I'm sure we will discuss when we get to some of the more modern timey wimey episodes. But I, my, my, you know, uh, he, 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 he can't go, he can't go back to two minutes before, but he can do this because this is, this is the two minutes in real time. So he traveled in space in the TARDIS, uh, uh, but not in, yeah, yeah, but not in time. Um, that and this is this is a neat. Oh, because of course in the book it's bookended, isn't it? By um, by uh, by Sarah reading the file about what what happened. Uh, and in fact, I think because it's quite a short bit at the end, it's got a slightly different setup in the target book, the epilogue, isn't it? I uh, I think I read that first, so I I. By the time I read the book proper, I already knew Lawrence was going to die because my brother Zector told me, and then, and then I, I think I'd, I pretty much knew what happened to everybody. Uh, that's a fantastic shot. Look at that. Well done. That that looks to me like the the house is on fire. It's a beautiful, brilliant, brilliant, uh, and a great final shot to the episode. Well, look. I mean, I distracted myself as much as anything during that. Uh, but but actually. So actually, yes, kudos to the um, BBC video people. Actually, I mean, no, I would never say release an archive thing uh, that has been molested. I would, I, I'm always as, you know, close to broadcast as possible kind of guy. Um, um, well, or exactly as broadcast in terms of the actual, you know, content. Um, but... Uh, uh, that said, I, I was expecting something... Um, I was expecting to have to kill a lot more time, but actually the beginning stuff between Sutek and the Doctor is compelling and brilliant, and they're both fantastic. Uh, uh, there's a neat, there's a neat ending that I that works for me in terms of the, the fact it tries to be science, you know, science, science fiction, scientific, -y. and and the bits in the middle. Well, actually, the you know the logic problem I think is absolutely fine. It's it's very Doctor Who, -y. and um, the acting from. Tom Baker and Elizabeth Sladen in that scene is so excellent. So it's only really the the, the switch of doom and the uh, uh, um, it, you know fifty piece sliding puzzle from a a, 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 a garage uh, of doom <laughs> uh, bits in the middle that are kind of you go you're kind of taking the piss here, guys. Um, especially when Sarah even has the audacity to say this is like that story from a couple of years ago, um, but uh, but it's interesting because I, I I would still I still isn't it funny I still because Pyramids of Mars is so good for its first three episodes I I, I still think it's an all time classic even though I think Part Four is is a bit of a shocker um, in terms of plot. In terms of script, they've kind of run out of story, um, and there's all sorts of logistical issues with uh, Pyramids of Mars as well. And yet, it's the confidence of the performance, the synthesis of the design and the direction, and just that at uh, the muscularity of storytelling in all departments, not just the scripts and the lines, but in all departments that Philip Hinchcliffe uh, strives for at all times means that it, I, I am much more forgiving of it than I am of, of perhaps stories from other eras. I do think this is such a strong era. And I think it's, it's you know, I've seen people, you know, making perfectly fair criticisms of, uh, of the Holmes-Hinchcliffe era in, in, in more recent years. Um, but I, I'm, I will not join, I will not join their number. And I, I do think there are, the high watermark of 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 the classic era um i think it's serious television being made by serious people um who are also all very funny uh so what are my what are my favorite things i can't remember what i chose oh, i chose the cliffhanger for part one uh and i chose the shooting of Professor Scarman in part two, didn't I? And I chose the Scarman and Lawrence scene in part three. Uh, and Richard has chosen has chosen Dudley Simpson's music, hasn't he, for part one. Did he choose the mummies for part two? Uh, and 
he chose Michael Sheard for part three. I think I'm going to choose... I think they're so good in this. Tom Baker and the, the dynamic, just the dynamic all the way through of Tom Baker and Elizabeth Sladen. Perhaps that's my bonus thing. I'm not always going to choose the Doctor and the Companion. I, you know, you've got to sort of take it for granted that I like the Doctor and the Companion because I do, on the whole, always like the Doctor and the the, the Companion. Um, but I think they're especially good in this, and I think they're going through an especially strong phase. Uh, and and there's an added uh, edge to their relationship that is in no way difficult to watch. That is in no way phony. That is in no way bickering. It's just real. But it but it. It, it gives the whole thing a a, a, a convincing shadow uh, and and yet they're both and they're, but they're also both so likable and they clearly both like each other and that, I think that really is important and they're both terribly terribly good actors um and oh I can't not say Gabriel wolf um it's odd because I I, I really I mean, if I'd done this 10 years ago, I'd have chosen uh, Bernard Archard as Marcus Scarman as well, because I think it's a brilliant... Um, oh, but, you see, because Richard chose a performance and he chose Michael Sheard. Do I want to choose a performance? Or do I want to choose just the Egyptology thing which pervades it all? Or Christine Rusco's design... So Paddy Russell's direction, which is so unobtrusively good uh, that she almost does her no favours in terms of winning prizes. Do you know what I mean? She's she's the Martin Scorsese of Doctor. She's so good we we almost take her for granted. Um, oh gosh, I mean even Holmes Hinchcliffe, you know. Um, sh- mm. Uh, I'm going to go for Egypt just because I think the atmosphere that it's provided, the fact that I remember the stories of Lord Carnarvon and all of that. I remember it being told those at school and it being, this is a real thing and there's this curse of Tutankhamun. Oh my God. And I remember being absolutely chilled and getting, reading, I found some mythology book in the, you know, dusty book at at, at home and reading about that and getting a real sort of prickle on the back of the neck. So uh, going, ah, yeah, let's buy into all of that. And it also gives us the mummies, which are also then reminiscent of the films, um, uh, but also the way that they, you know, they turn that Egyptology into spacey science fiction stuff as well. Um, so Pyramids of Mars, isn't that a brilliant juxtaposition? In fact, what a great title of, you know, the old, the ancient horror, but also real as well and, and earthy, you know, geographical, but wondrous and space. Uh, so it's a synthesis of, you know, history and sci-fi and horror and sci-fi which is i think a winning combination so yes egypt and all of and that whole thing uh and then for my overarching thing i will choose tom baker and elizabeth sladen's dynamic because it's not just the performances it's the writing of, of, of that as well um so with with you know honorable mentions to uh um bernard archard uh, gabriel wolf paddy russell christine rusco and Hinchcliffe slash Holmes. So a lot of people could have taken uh, a prize away today. And it's not the winning, guys. It's the taking part. And thank God you all did. I wonder if Richard has chosen any of them. Uh, and do you know what? It might be fair if he does. Part four. Richard Bigman. So we're on to part four. And we finally get to travel to the eponymous Pyramids of Mars where admittedly everything starts to look a little bit cheaper in the production. Although I think those flowing patterns CSO'd onto the walls of the corridors do look rather nice. Yeah, I see that. So the latter part of this episode involves rather a lot of Marcus and his mummy and the Doctor and Sarah travelling from right to left across the screen and having to solve a number of fiendish siren traps, including Sarah getting caught in the Decatron Crucible. In other words, a clear plastic pipe. But this is actually my favourite thing that I'm going to choose for this episode. And it's for two reasons. Firstly, there is the neatness in the execution of the effect of the crucible appearing. 
Now that effect required Elizabeth Slayton to stand still on her mark and remain so whilst the tube was lowered over her. Now, more often than not, these sort of effects don't really work because there's always some slight movement either of the actor or of the camera between the two shots. And it's the reason why a couple of sequences showing lock controls appearing by doors were edited out of this episode. If you go and have a look at the deleted scenes on the DVD, you'll see just how much movement there was between the shots and the reason why they took them out. But not in this case. The effect here is flawless and Elizabeth Sladen doesn't move a muscle. Now initially I thought this must have been done via an overlay of the crucible being vision mixed over the shot of Sarah, but the script shows that they didn't do that. The shot was locked off, recording stopped, and then they lowered the contraption over Sladen and then started again. Now the riddle of the Asirons with the two guardians is a very old puzzle and it appears in many different forms. But to a nine-year-old viewer, however, I'd never heard of it. And to be honest, I really didn't understand the explanation as given by the Doctor. It wasn't until a year later when the Target novelization was published that I could take my time to read the puzzle and to understand how the solution worked. And I remember being so pleased with myself when it suddenly clicked into place and I could understand how asking either Guardian just one particular question would lead you to the same answer. So for those reasons, the scenes around the Decatron Crucible are a favourite of mine. Oh, Richard's a favourite of mine. I mean, he explained the the joy of the the logic puzzle much better than I did, and I mean, you could you could tell as well. He was living that, wasn't he? And I love that. And that is a very important part of Doctor Who: the bits that connect with you when you're a kid. And I absolutely agree with him that when you read that, when you finally understand it, and you go, "Oh right, okay, oh yeah, I've got a thing," and it, it does. It's one of those things that just puts a little spring in your step. It makes you feel like you're understanding the world a little bit more, or actually, you understand a part of the world that's that that will be confusing to some. I, I yeah, that's great. Um, and and also his description of 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 you know how it all worked in the studio because he probably knows what the floor plan looked like um, uh, is is a lovely insight into just how good that tiny moment that requires a lot of skill in a lot of different departments that is on second screen for you know half a second uh, is and just how much hard work went into these things that are so often sort of now by stupid people you know dismissed for being you know shonky which no they were. You know, there were a lot of people working very hard with limited resources to do stuff that is actually amazing. Uh, so thank you, Richard. So he's chosen, I, I, you know, I didn't know it was called the Decatron Crucible. Um, or if I did, I've forgotten because I'm very old and nearly dead. Right. Uh, <laughs> where did that come from? Um, right. Um, I was writing an obituary all day yesterday. I think I'm a bit raw. Uh, bonus item for Richard Big. So four lovely things about Pyramids of Mars. And what's even nicer is that I get to choose a fifth extra one. And for this, I'd like to choose the way that Pyramids of Mars deals with the subject and concept of time itself. Now, when the TARDIS arrives at the beginning of the story at the Priory in 1911, we're quickly told that this is the location where unit headquarters will be in the future. But it won't be this house because this Priory will be burned down. Now what seems to be a throwaway line at the beginning of course ends up coming full circle by the end of the story when we see for ourselves the actual reason why the building was destroyed. And of course the whole denouement of Sutek's defeat is based around the subject of time. Now I have to admit that as a nine-year-old I wasn't terribly clear about what the relationship was between where Sutek was imprisoned in Egypt and the pyramid up on Mars containing the Eye of Horus that powered the force field holding him in place. It was very easy to get all of that muddled up in my head. However, when Sutek succeeds in destroying the Eye of Horus on Mars, the frenetic dash to get back to Earth is all based around the fact that there is a time delay between the two planets. The Doctor and Sarah rush back to the Priory and they're able to fling Sutek off into the vortex just in time before the signal is finally broken. It is a wonderful, tense finale, even if they do fudge the science a little bit. 
radio waves don't really take two minutes to travel between Mars and Earth, as the doctor says. They actually take anywhere between about four and 20, depending where the planets are in the solar system. However, it is a great time-based conclusion. Now, I said earlier that part two had some really good material to choose from. For that episode, I chose The Lumbering Mummies, but it was a close-run thing with the brief segue as the Doctor takes Sarah and Lawrence into the future to see the world as Sutek would leave it. And if you chose that as your best bit, Toby, then I really don't blame you for a moment. For once, the programme makes a concerted effort not only to tell us, but also to show us why the Doctor can't leave halfway through a story and go off somewhere else. There are consequences to getting involved with things that have already happened. Now, whether or not you think this explanation works or not is probably by the by. The fact is they try to give a logic and a reason to it. You can't just walk away. You have to see things through. And finally, on the subject of time, I'd just like to go back to the burning of the Priory that we mentioned earlier and give a mention for the brief two-page epilogue that Terence Dix includes at the end of his novelization for Pyramids of Mars. In the book, after the TARDIS dematerializes the burning Priory, Sarah thinks about what they've been through and she asks the Doctor, won't all this business get out? I mean, didn't it get out back in 1911? Everything that happened at the old Priory? The Doctor looked up from the console. I very much doubt it, Sarah. Time has a way of taking care of these things. Anyway, when you get back home, you can look it up and see. And then Terence adds an epilogue. Time moves forward to a point where Sarah has left the TARDIS and she's finished her travels with the Doctor. And remembering his words, she visits the offices of a local newspaper that's close to Unit HQ. And she goes and she looks up the events of 1911. She reads about the assumed victims of the blaze and the speculation that one of Lawrence Scarman's scientific devices might have been the cause of the fire. Time takes care of things, just as the doctor indicated. The epilogue concludes. Sarah skimmed through the rest of the report. So that is what the doctor had meant. The terrible events surrounding the return of Sutek had found a natural explanation, a deplorable but soon forgotten tragedy in an English country village. Sarah looked through the window, out into the bustling high street of the little country town. She shivered at the memory of the desolate world that she had seen through the doors of the TARDIS, the world Sutek would have made had he not been defeated. The sacrifice of all those lives had not been in vain. The pity was that no one would ever know. Sarah closed the heavy old volume and went into the summer sunshine of her own unchanged 20th century. And that's a super end to the book. Terence Dix takes us forward in time to a companion's future after they've left the Doctor. But in doing so, Sarah is able to reflect on the devastated planet that Sutek would have left and she is grateful for her own unchanged world. Ah, oh, Richard Bignall has played an absolute blinder. I agree with everything. I, I almost feel as, as though I shouldn't comment on anything he said because I, I agree with it and it's so well put. So what would be the point? It would be gilding the lily. But it it has... I mentioned the epilogue in... in, in the commentary for part four but it's it's made me realize actually how much i love that that epilogue and 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 actually tying it in with the whole thing of time and of course i didn't mention at all the whole thing about the the fire of the priory being being mentioned as a thing and and and, and it being unit hq so it's still sort of tied in with the the sort of you know the that doctor who is although they've put unit behind them you know um 
that uh, you know when they when when you I always thought of Terror of the Zygons as the sort of end of the unit era, but actually no, because they go back with Android Invasion and then you see Harry again and uh, and Benton and a de facto brigadier. But yes, this this is set set on the grounds of Unit HQ, so it's still there as a sort of as infused in the DNA, sort of almost part of the show the show present but they're they're the show's present but they're doing it in in different ways but they haven't you know just totally you know gone away from it um and yeah that use of time is 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 very very clever i hadn't uh, hadn't thought of it like that and i didn't do the the going to 1980 scene which i'm sure i mentioned in episode two was, was going to be one of russell t davis's scenes that he was going to choose to have uh, when it was relaunched because it's it's that question that the audience have um uh uh, so it is, you know, it is, it is an important scene in a, in a way. Um, but look, I'll no, I'll leave it, I'll leave it to, to Richard because he was a great advocate for all of that stuff, a very eloquent uh, and perceptive advocate. And so, what a brilliant guest he's been! Thank you, Richard. Um, I know he's been plugging his stuff on his on his intros, um, but uh, do get nothing at the end of the lane. It's ludicrously cheap uh, on PDF online because uh, because the printed copies are now. Uh, uh, a, a thing of the past i think um but though i'm sure there'll be future ones he's always doing stuff his doctor location book is brilliant all of his stuff is really well researched and he works like a dog on the uh blu-rays um because he you know he does he does a lot of the the quality checking uh he he, he scans all the pdfs of the production uh, uh files which isn't as easy as you think because he has to get clearance for from the people you know who've written them or the the, the various bits of paper or whatever um I know when he did the one for season 18 I had to give him a number for Clifford Rose because it was a letter for from Clifford Rose uh so you know they can't just stick that in they have to actually get the person's permission um so you know the, the, the amount you know and that's just one click on a pdf on what is a, is there something like 1700 that you'll just sort of zip through uh, and all of that stuff is done by by richard doesn't you know um he, he does so much that you behind the scenes that you do not see and it's because of that sort of passion but that's not some sort of geeky geeky cataloging he's done there is it there's a real eloquent perceptive insight um that it was a joy to because obviously this is the first time i've heard any of this to hear to witness to see the enthusiasm to hear the perceptiveness uh and to share in the joy uh of 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 a communal experience of 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 loving a doctor who story even though our communal experience found us expressing that joy in in different ways because i scored no points or maybe a quarter of a point <laughs> But I, I found that utterly rewarding. I'm, uh, and I almost feel bad that I um, suborned myself about the shortcomings of episode four when uh, actually um, I, I, should have got, I, I should have just got into it with the enthusiasm uh, of somebody expecting to enjoy it. Because actually... Uh, well, or maybe I didn't. Maybe because I had low expectations, I, I've, I found it. I did do a lecture about a quarter of the way in, though, didn't I? Doesn't matter. Uh, I cannot change. I've committed to this timeline. I cannot change what has happened to it. Ha ha ha! As Richard so eloquently pointed out. Well, look, I enjoyed that. I hope you did too. I think Pyramids of Mars is one of the greats of Doctor Who. My brothers were right. Uh, is that the, this is when Doctor Who is really good? I mean, I think Doctor Who is generally really good, but. But yeah, I I totally buy, I totally buy the greatness of Pyramids of Mars. Um, so thank you for being here. Please join me for another one of these. Great thanks to Richard Bignall. He's on uh, Twitter, uh, and it's at Nothing Lane, I think something like that. Um, uh, so follow him because he's always coming up with interesting stuff. But I would like to thank uh, Doctor Who for bringing. Sutek's gift of the pyramids of Mars to all humanity. Goodbye. Well, thank you ever so much for listening to Happy Times and Places, which is presented by me, Toby Haydock, and my special guest, Richard Bignall, who can be found on Twitter at Nothing Lane. I really am very grateful, you know, to the patrons who make these podcasts possible, and they include... Mark Aldridge, Kit Allen, Sebastian April, Tilt Oriser, Simon Ash, Richard Alt, Lung Baramus Banks, James Blackett, Robin Bland, 
Kyle Bors, David Brody, Nigel Bromley, Hugh Buchtman, Anthony Carroll, Anthony Carroll, that's not an echo, there's two of them, Phil Chapman, Ralph Chilton, Susan Christian, Steve Churchill, Charles Coffin, Simon Coling, Paul Colnaghi, Paul Cornell, Leslie Coots, Peter Crocker, Lee Kremin, Dave Curran, Paul Philip Dahlgren, Matt Dale, Rob Dawson, Chris Davis, Hugh Davis, Robert Davis, a trio of Davis's, Ian Dean and Tim Dickinson. The music is by Dave Gates and the artwork by Dylan Patterson. Ooh, barely got through that by the skin of my teeth. Uh, well, that's for the patrons. You could be among their number if you go to patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydoke, where for as little as £3 a month, you can get all sorts of bonus goodies and advance releases and exclusive material. Exclusive material and bonus goodies are sort of the same thing, but I'm, I'm trying to do a sales pitch here, people. Uh, there's early releases too. If you're listening to this uh, as it goes out uh, to the great unwashed, um, because washing is uh, mandatory in patron land. Well, no, I do it for you. That's part of... You get washed. You, you, you don't. don't. That's not a legally binding statement. Um, if you're listening to this as it goes out, it's probably four or five months uh, after you could have heard it if you were a patron. So uh, go there, patreon.com forward slash Toby Haydock. If you don't want to do a monthly commitment, you can go to ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock and just chuck a few pennies at me if ever you think I'm sounding like I'm dying. Uh, or if you can do neither of those things, that's perfectly understandable. I'm just grateful to you for listening. It really is nice to uh, you know, know that people are out there enjoying this stuff and you send me nice feedback and I'm grateful. But you could also send nice feedback too iTunes or wherever you digest your podcasts you know the system there's a star system five of those really helps and a couple of lines of really good review uh, really as I say help these to stand out amongst the crowd so if you could do that I'd be very very grateful and then of course there's Twitter at Toby Haydock or at Haydock Podcasts uh, that's uh, there's two of them I have two Twitters yes I'm very ostentatious and you can also come to my comedy night, Excess Malarkey, every Tuesday in Manchester at 8pm. I'm the resident MC there and have been for 24 years. It's an excellent value night where we get all the best comedians from the country to perform uh, at a smaller door charge for you as we can manage. And it's very reasonably priced, runs on a non-profit making basis. There are examples of it online on our twitch.tv forward slash Excess Malarkey show that has an archive of stuff up there right now. But also we do a monthly Sunday night show there as well. And I never got time to say one of my memories is when they were uh, uh, repeating some stories back in the what late 80s, the, the, the 90s, in the 90s. They'd occasionally go, and Doctor Who is available on BBC Video. You know, there are these. And one time, they went, there were, uh, including the adventures uh, Death to the Daleks, The Seeds of Death, and Pyramids of War. And I still have that on VHS somewhere. I think it must be, it, oh, it might be at the end of one of the McCoy stories then. Uh, but it's at the end of uh, it's at the end of some broadcast of a Doctor Who, and I thought, has, has he got it upside down, or has he just not bothered to? What do you think? Pyramids of War is a better title than Pyramids of Mars. Uh, but you can see it's slightly inverted. War and Mars. He's inverted the uh, he's inverted the uh, M to the W, hasn't he? But I, that's just a thing I remember. You maybe remember that too. And we've got a bonded moment of kinship that nobody can take away from us. All right, that was that was that. <laughs>